12th chapter of Exodus. We are in verse 37. Verse 37. And we will try to get through verse 16 of chapter 13. We have an outline there. Exiting Egypt, crossing the Red Sea, traveling to Sinai, meeting with Jethro. Takes us through the 18th chapter of Exodus. And uh, we have just come out of the 10 plagues on Egypt. We'll have a word of prayer and then we'll pick it up there in verse 37. Father, you are our king. Lord, I pray that as we draw to you this night, as we draw to you with the breath that you give us, that, Father, we hear your words. That, Father, we understand what it is that you do. Father, we understand that uh, at the writing of this book, Father, you are revealing yourself as the God of all gods. You are over. The rest are man's creation. And yet, Father, I just pray, Lord, help us. Help us to hear you. Father, help us to draw to you. Help us to rest full weight on you. For you are the author and the finisher of our faith. And Lord, we're just asking you now to give us clarity. Father, to receive um, our worship, our singing, our praises unto you. Father, we, uh, we just thank you that you've allowed us to be here. Father, thank you. Thank you for all that you've already done. And yet, Father, may we be excited. May we be overwhelmed with all that you will do. And I just praise you, Lord, for the amazing things you're doing. We rest to you, Lord. We rest to you. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, for those of you who don't know, um, I just found out, I've, I've shared it with a few of you, and then we'll jump into the text. Um, on Tuesday, they're taking Shannon into the hospital, and she will deliver her child. They'll induce labor on Wednesday morning. Um, so I think she's a little early, uh, about three, three and a half weeks. But uh, Matt's all excited, and I told him, don't be. In three days, you have to be a grown-up. <laughs> so, <laughs> so. Uh, but you can pray for them. Verse 37, the sons of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, 600,000 men on foot aside from the children. All right, now this is amazing stuff because they're leaving. The Egyptians are actually giving them gold and silver and precious stones to, to go. What is really amazing is that on their exit route, they're going through two cities that they built, that the Israelis built. And uh, you see it in chapter 1, verse 11. And on the way to Canaan, uh, Canaan they are going through these places that they had already um, uh, known well. Uh, many had spilled their blood. Uh, and that city there, Succoth, is, uh, means booth. You will see another one described, the city Succoth, uh, in, um, near the Jordan River, uh, in, in Israel. But this is a different one. There, there, he's given, what, what I want you to see in this is there's some details being given. And we don't pay a lot of attention sometimes 
to this. We, we get funny names and we just kind of cruise on over them. But he's literally saying, this is the path we're taking. All right. And, and, and he gives us these details because he's revealing himself, but he can show us by the writing of this what they are about and what they're going to do. Now then, he makes a statement there, 600,000 men on foot. Okay. Normal Hebrew writing was they only counted those who are of the age of being soldiers. So what he's saying is 20 years of age and older, there were 600,000. Okay. If you were just conservative, you could double it and say 1.2 million. I don't think that that's a good number either. I think you're looking at probably a conservative number of 2 million. Of 2 million. Okay, now remember, you you sit there and go, 2 million people getting ready to go camping. Um, It just sounds like a blast, doesn't it? (laughs) Um, But um, remember when they went into Egypt, how many were there? Anybody remember? 70. There were 70. Okay, and that was the family of Jacob. Now, 400 years later, we got 2 million. <laughs> I love it. All right. So there's a population explosion. Remember, they were blessed. They went in with 70 in 1875 BC. And now they're going to leave with Moses in 1443 BC with close to 2 million. Close to 2 million. But the number gets larger than that. Look at verse 30. Um, 38, it says there was a mixed multitude also went up with them. Okay. This is probably a Semitic people, um, probably Egyptians or, uh, members who had, uh, married, uh, into the Egyptian families. And so you have a larger number and they went up with them along with the flocks and herds and a very large number of livestock. Now, I want you to think about this. When this group starts to leave, you put two men with a bunch of cows and and a bunch of oxen and and a bunch of sheep and a bunch of goats and chickens and whatever else you got cruising along. You're talking about a cloud of dust. Okay, I mean, you talk about pollution. (laughs) All right, so you got two million people taking off but you've got another group of people who are identifying with jehovah god um and and there's i believe that not all of these people are what i would want to call god worshiping or god fearing some of them are just because this was the victors i won't be on the winning team well, you see that. I mean, um, we just seen that with uh, our Colorado Rockies baseball team. I mean, all of a sudden, everybody was a Rockies fan. Really. I've been around the Rockies since they started, and uh, I haven't seen that many Rockies fans. Okay. And I'm probably of all the sports, baseball is my favorite. I grew up with uh, winning teams. <laughs> and then I moved to Colorado. But anyway, we won't go into it. Um, But um, when I look at this kind of stuff, there's a lot of, but we'll see it in a few years. 
in Numbers chapter 11, verse 4, that there were some of these people that you see as the mixed multitudes are troublemakers, and Moses has to deal with them. Uh, they start grumping, grump, grumbling. All right? Then um, you look and see what he lays out um, um, in... in <clears throat> It says in verse 39, they baked dough, which they had brought out of Egypt, into cakes of unleavened bread. And that, <clears throat> for it had not become leavened since they had, were driven out of Egypt and could not delay, so they prepared any provisions for themselves. All right, because remember he said, with haste you will eat of this Passover lamb and then leave. And it came about at the end of 430 years to that very day. Okay, in- interesting. Didn't God tell Moses that it'd be there 400 years? Your people will be in bondage 400 years, but you won't be. Abraham, I'm sorry. Abraham. Who? Okay, your, your people are going to be in bondage for 400 years. So why we got 430 years? Okay. Um, probably what is being laid out here. And I've heard a lot of people say, well, the normal Hebrew mindset was the round to the hundred. And it is the normal way that the Hebrew mindset rounded, but this was written as 430 years. All right. But probably he said 400 years of bondage. Okay. But your people will be in the land for how long? 430. Okay. But the bondage was 400 years. So they probably had 40 years of prosperity among the Egyptians. All right. Um, I, I can give you a bunch of texts. I'm not going to really get into it. I'm not that specific. I don't, I'm not that concerned about it. You see it in Galatians chapter 3, verse 17. You also see it in Acts chapter 13, verse 19, where 450 years is used. Uh, and that would have been between the Egyptian captivity uh, and the, then the conquest of Palestine. I mean, when they actually took and crossed the Jordan River uh, and, and the fall of Jericho. Um, so you would even have included in that time frame the 40 years of wandering around in the desert. All right, so you can throw them all together. You have one big package. You got between 400 and 450 years, uh, and, and I don't have any problem with it. Why? Because it says it was that very day, and all the hosts of Yahweh went out from the land of Egypt. They all left. Okay. So the sons of Israel had lived in Egypt for 430 years. Came about that very day, all right? The day after the 10th plague, 2 million people plus and their livestock take off. Verse 42 it is a night to be observed. Now, now, what you're getting now is a little more detail on this, um, this feast of the Passover and the feast of the unleavened bread. And you'll start finding out God is bringing emphasis to this. And you've got to understand something. When you look at the religious calendar of, of the Jews, this is their first holiday that they get, and they're not in the promised land yet. So they're receiving this, and God is wanting to bring emphasis back to this, back to this, back to this. It is a night to be observed for Yahweh for having brought them out of the land of Egypt, and 
this night is for Yahweh to be observed by all the sons of Israel throughout their generations. All right. So when God starts saying, I want you to pay attention to this, he's saying, I want you to pay attention to this. All right. And Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron, this is the ordinance of the Passover. All right. Now, it's funny in verse 33, no foreigner is to eat of it. All right. But every man's slave purchased with money after you have circumcised him, then he may eat of it. All right. Now, all of a sudden, you're watching immediately as God has instilled this Passover meal. He's starting to expand it. He's starting to show the Jews that it won't be just for you. It will be for those that you will touch, those that you will reach. Okay. The act of circumcision, you're going to find out, is, is basically saying, I serve God. The one true God. And if they have, if you have a slave that you have purchased and that slave has been circumcised, then you may eat of it. That slave may eat of it. A sojourner or a hired servant, they shall not eat of it. Like a visitor who does not worship your God, don't let them eat of it. All right. Verse 46. It is to be eaten in a single house. If you do, and you are not to bring forth any of the flesh outside of the house, nor are you to break any of the bones. There he goes again. Don't break any of the bones. Why? It's a picture of who? Christ. First Corinthians chapter five, verse seven. He says, not this is our Passover land. Don't break any of the bones of the Passover land. And, and, and you will see throughout prophecy that the bones of Messiah will not be broken. All right. Remember, they broke the the legs of the two thieves on the cross so they'll die faster. And when they got to Jesus, they said he was already dead. And they didn't break his bones. And that started all the way back at the Exodus. God revealing himself. God's now remember, he said faith and obedience is part of who I am. And you do not break his bone. And all the congregation of Israel are to celebrate this, verse 47 says. So you already see God is making provision for foreigners. He's making provisions for strangers. He's wanting you to understand you will do this every year. You will do it as remembrance to me. You will do it to bring your attention back to me. You will do it to bring glory and exaltation unto me. And if you have foreigners in your house, if they have not worshipped me, they are not to eat of it. If they do worship me, they can partake of it. Even even them nasty old Gentiles. He's showing his grace to all. To all. But if a stranger sojourns with you and celebrates the Passover to Yahweh, let all his males be circumcised and then let him come near to celebrate. And he shall be like what? A native to the land. A native to the land. But no uncircumcised person may eat of it. All right. See, circumcision was an act of obedience. It was submitting to the authority of Yahweh. And we see that all the way back. You see that all the way back. Okay. If you have a hired servant. All right. But I want you to think about this for a second. 
Yahweh is telling you and I today, I'm looking for complete obedience. I had a friend of mine, uh, they're at the coalition of churches that is reaching a place called Tomsk. Uh, and can- their coalition is in Kansas. And um, his best friend's wife had fallen into immorality. And he was on his way to Tomsk to teach, and he was just really wrestling with it. Had, their families had been friends for years and years and years. And, and he was going to have to deal with this. He was the pastor of the church. And he says, how do I deal with this? This, this, this is a friend. This, this is a friend of the families. And he was just really wrestling with this. Uh, and and uh, so he gets to Tomsk. Uh, they ask him to come in and bear witness to a man that they're bringing in before the pastors of the church. This guy comes in. He's blind. Okay. He had had an accident in the military, uh, uh, the Russian military, uh, had been, and, and had, was blind. And in Russian military, if you have an accident, they just throw your butt out. They don't, there's no Veterans Association or Veterans Administration or anything like that. You're just done. And so he'd become an alcoholic and all that goes along with that and uh, had heard the gospel message and had come to, to salvation. This is a blind man. So they bring him in. All right, and you had three deacons and three pastors, and uh, and my buddy was sitting there, and and he just walks, and this guy comes in. They've got two guys leading him, and they set him down, and they're threatening to kick him out of church because he's been cussing. And he just sits there and he says, "You got six people beating up on this poor blind man." And the blind man's excuse was, I have not used a profane word now for four days. That ain't good enough. And they looked at my friend and they said, are we not to call to holiness and purity in the body of Christ? And and Rick said, the guy's blind. And he says, are we not to call for holiness and purity in the body of Christ? And Rick's response was, dude is blind. <laughs> I mean, this guy's got a tough life in front of him. And the man looked at Rick and said, are you telling me that with a physical affliction? The man has an excuse and does not have to be obedient to the word of God. See how easy we slide? Don't we? It's just a little big one. You know, it was, I mean, I hit my finger with a hammer. What are you supposed to say? Shoot darn What's God calling for in this text? Is he calling for partial obedience? You are a holy people. How holy? You be holy for your... Your Father is holy. But what do we do? It was just a slight indiscretion. And you know, he Rick said, you know... I knew what I had to do when I come back. I didn't want to come. This is my friend. I mean, this woman is our friend. And I have to confront her. 
And he said, you know, that was very difficult. I mean, here's six men who can see. <laughs> Messing with this guy who can't. Why? See, I want you to understand something. We have bought hook, line, and sinker that grace means I can do anything I want. Okay, because I'm under grace. You know what? If you're going to do that, then go be a Catholic. Okay, because that's what the Catholics do. You can go do whatever you want. Go tell the priest you're sorry and do you about a half a dozen Hail Marys and hallelujah, and then go do whatever you want to do. Can't do that. That's not what we've been called to. And yet we tolerate it. Uh, last Sunday night, I wasn't here and I had uh, uh, asked some people to, to view a message that I've heard multiple times. Uh, and one of the phrases that my dear brother uses is your obedience up to date. And I asked myself that. Is my obedience up to date? I'm, I'm, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I don't know. What date is it? All right. But he lays this out here. And he says, if a stranger sojourns with you and celebrates the Passover, let his males be circumcised. Gee, many crickets, I don't want to eat no lamb. You want me to what? So I can have lamb? lamb <laughs> give me a chicken <laughs> I'll even go with sushi alright why do not partake in it it's like when Paul's talking about the Lord's table that some of you have fallen ill and some of you have fallen asleep why because you're partaking of the Lord's table in an unworthy manner is your obedience up to date alright Let's move on. The same law shall apply to the native as to the stranger who sojourns among you. Then all the sons of Israel did so, and just as they did just as Yahweh had commanded Moses and Aaron. Now look what it says in the 31. An interesting phrase. It came about on that day that Yahweh brought the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt by the host. All right, what he's saying is this obedience was instantaneous. Right now, we're going to do it now. Boom, here we go. Okay, and I like that because that is the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, what happened? They all took to hiking. On that day, they began. The journey began. And from that day forward, they would have a day of rest. But that day forward, they were going to leave. Why? Because God was going to free them from their captivities. All right? Now then, in chapter 13, the first 10 verses, he just literally goes back through and further explains this divine promise. I'm taking to a new, new, new land. You need to understand something about the Exodus. The Exodus is God providing and, and proving that he is a God of his word. He's a God of his word. I will give you the land. Your time's up. The bondage is over. But I'm going to do it in such a way that no one gets credit for it but me. Yeah, I mean, you could, the Jews weren't sitting around saying, well, all right, we only got like 399 more years and then we get to leave. 
What had happened in the lands of Israel or in the lands of Egypt? They forgot that God had promised them a country. I have land. God has promised us. He's going to give us his land. And they had forgot. Why? Well, look at the conditions. They were slaves. Let me ask you a question. How often do you forget what God's plans are? How often do you forget what God's promises are? I mean, have you ever thought about suffering? Anybody in this room had suffering in their life? You know, Jesus promised you that. In this life, you will have tribulations. He says, understand this. They're going to hate you. Why? First hated me. Paul told Timothy, if you walk in his righteousness, you shall be persecuted. You know, people accuse me at times. They say, well, you just like to go around and confront people. No, I don't. I've never desired that. I'm like every other human being. I don't like confrontation. But let me tell you something. If you say something about my God that ain't true, I'm going to bring it up to your attention. If you're doing something that is against the word of God, I bet you I mention it to you. And I'm not doing it because, you know, I just want, I'm just bored. I just do it. Now that I also have to understand that I am a shepherd. And if I deal with a man who is in a position of authority over the people of God and they're wrong, I will confront them because my Bible says that a teacher's judgment is harsher. And it's my responsibility. I step into sin if I don't confront the error. And I got enough sin. To, I don't need to add any not confronting somebody. Okay, so he goes back in verses 1 through 10 of chapter 13 and says, do you understand why I'm doing this? It's like if you ask a Christian today, the average Christian today, why, why would God save you? 99.9% are going to use this same phrase. So I can go to heaven. Did you know that that is not why he saved you? I mean, don't give me, that's part of the benefit package. But that is not why he saved you. He saved us that we would glorify him now. That is amazing. And yet most Christians, oh, I'm going to heaven. Well, you keep acting like that, then you don't, you know, never mind. Uh, but, but do you see what I'm trying to get at? Most Christians believe, why did you get saved? Why did God take this group of people and set them apart as his nation? So they would glorify God. It, this isn't, this isn't complicated. It goes all the way back to Genesis, cruises all the way through Revelations. I will take the weak. I will take the foolish. Okay, but look what he says here. Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, look what he says. Now the word sanctify, this is New American Standard Translation. It literally means set unto me, set unto me, holy unto me. All right, sanctify to me what? Hmm, interesting concept, isn't it? Every... Firstborn, 
the first offspring of every womb among the sons of Israel, both of man and beast. What does it say next? What does it say? It belongs to me. It belongs to me. How important is that? Well, in chapter 2 of the Gospel of Luke, verse 23, it's as the law is written of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. You know who they're talking about? Jesus. That is mine. Okay, and he is the firstborn of many. All right, how important is that? Well, it's covering a lot of time between Exodus, where you're looking at 1443 Exodus, to... So in 1400 years, he hasn't changed it. The firstborn is mine. Why? Did you? See? I like the phrase there. New American Standard really translates the Hebrew really good right there. It says, it belongs to me. It could be translated, it belongs to me. Or it could be translated, it belongs to me. You know what that means, right? It ain't yours. <laughs> it's mine. It's mine. Why? Because the 10th plague de- dealt with what? Firstborn. God struck them dead. Every single one of them, didn't he? Every single one of them. It's mine. It is special unto God. Here's what he says. Moses said to the people, remember this day. Here we go again. Why? How easy do we forget? How often do we have to remind? Remember this day in which you went out from Egypt, out from the house of slavery, for by the powerful hand of Yahweh brought you out of this place. And nothing leaven shall be eaten. And on this day of the month of Abib, you shall go forth. And it is written, and it shall be when Yahweh brings you in the land of the Canaanite, the Hivite, the Amorite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, that was the Hittites, sorry, Jebusite, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall observe this rite in this month. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. And on the seventh day there shall be a feast to Yahweh. Unleavened bread shall be eaten throughout the seven days. And nothing leavened shall be seen among you, nor shall any leaven be seen among you in your borders. You shall tell your sons on that day, saying, It is because that what Yahweh did for me when I came out of Egypt. I'm thinking he's putting some emphasis on this. What do you think? I mean, there are so many implications. What is the leaven of Egypt? And what leave it behind and set it aside from yourself. And you shall do it, and you will do it for seven days. And I like the terms that you see given here. He says, And that day they did it. Right, I'm not thinking about this. Why? We're getting ready to go camping. And it shall be served as a sign to you. Now, now, verse 9, what happens is they've, they've um, perverted it. 
They've perverted it. This thing that has to deal with, it, it needs to be on our forefront of our heads. It needs to be something that we think about. And, and he says, and it shall serve as a sign to you on your hand and a reminder on your forehead. And this is where the invention and the creation of the phylacteries came from. Okay, they have these little leather prayer boxes and they'll take a text out of Joshua, they'll take a text out of Deuteronomy and they put them in there and they put this text in there and they put them in and they put this box on her head and they take a leather strap and they wrap it around her head and it runs down and then they wrap it around their right arm and it comes down and they tie it around their hand because it's supposed to be on their forearm and it's supposed to be on their forehead. So they have the prayers, these prayer boxes on their head and you see them all over Egypt today. Or Egypt, Israel today. You see them walking around. You go down to the the Wailing Wall, the the Western Wall, where they go to pray. That's the most holy place for Judaism. And you see guys go down there, and they got a little a little place over in the corner, and you can go over and get you one. And and the guy lace it around your head, put it down around your arm, come around there, and then you see them go up on the wall, and they'll start praying. Why? Because it says what? Shall serve as a sign to you. On your hand, reminder on your forehead, the law of the Lord, the law of Yahweh may be in your mouth. For it be as powerful a hand that Yahweh brought you out. And see, they keep thinking it, and, and, and it's, it's hilarious because they're translating, it's figurative. But no, what he's saying is, where do you want the word at? You want it on your mind, you want it moving your hands. It'll be there all the time. Never let it go far from you. And this is where the phylacteries come from. And, and some of the guys, they'll get big phylacteries. They'll get big boxes. I'm a big prayer guy. And they'll get this huge box. And I've seen some of them, huge and big old thing tied around. And, and that, that make them look like, well, I'm even more into the Word. No, you're not. No, you're not. Do you see what he's saying here? What's important? He says, you need to remember this. Why? It's going to get tough. I mean, let's be realistic. Two million plus people out camping in the desert, that's going to be tough. Okay, now now I understand that part of that is, is, is punishment. But when I read that, uh, he goes back. And the phrase that I want us to think about is verse 5 because he's hanging this on it because he's saying, I'm proving to you that I keep my promises. Why? This is, he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. And that you shall observe this right in this month. And you'll tell your sons this for every generation. Let this not go far from you. It shall serve a sign. It was powerful, the hand of the Lord. It was powerful. And let's be realistic, brothers and sisters. You sat here today redeemed because it was the powerful hand of the Lord. It wasn't anything you did. You didn't all of a sudden wake up one day and say, Hey, you know what? I think I'm going to do the Jesus thing. He invaded your life. How can we forget it? How do we get anxious? How do we get angry? How can we allow our pride to rise up when it was the powerful hand of the Lord who broke you and saved you? That's what we need to pay attention to. We need to get it back and focus it. Think about the stuff that you 
play with and you focus on on a daily basis. And I wonder, half the time I'm thinking Christians need to get phylactery things tied on their head. Why? You need something to remind you. You know, I went up and I was sitting with these men, tremendous men of God this last week up in Illinois. And to hear these men preach, the Russians preach, and there's a number of different guys took time to preach. And you just listen to this, and it was funny. I see guys running around America right now trying to get us all together. Let's all be united. We're all churches. We may believe this, or you may believe that, or I might believe this, or I might believe that. And is it really that big a deal and all the rest of it? And you know what was amazing to me? I took guys, there were 150 churches from around the United States represented up there in Chicago this year. It started with nine four years ago, five years ago. Nine churches got together and said, we have a country that has 11 time zones and we want to wrap our arms around it and give them Christ. Okay? And they wanted us to. Now, we've got actually 200, 150 of them showed up. Uh, we're going to get that other 50 to repent. But anyway, um, and then you've got a guy from the Ukraine and the t- two guys from the, t- the, t- the president and vice president of the Russian Union of Baptists. They're there. And you know what's amazing? Every person in that room, 150 pastors and the presidents of the Ukrainian Baptists and the, and the uh, Russian Baptists, and we are all absolutely united. One. And you know what? We didn't have to force it. We just prayed about it. God, give us faithful men who will do nothing but exalt the word of God and who understand that we are here but for the glory of God. Period. We didn't try to do it. And I mean, we got evangelical free, a couple of Presbyterians, a Southern Baptist, (laughs) one, a couple of other Baptists, some independent guys. uh, All across the board, we're all there. And you know what? We all believe the Bible. We didn't have to manufacture anything. Why? Because we're drawing to this kind of stuff here. And we say, you know what? The word of the Lord shall serve as a sign. It'll be on my hand. It'll be a reminder on my forehead. This is what it's about here, people. It's what it's about here. And therefore you shall keep this ordinance as its appointed time from year to year. You will do this. Now, shall come about when Yahweh brings you into the land of Canaanite, as he has sworn to you and to your fathers, and he gives it to you, that you shall devote to Yahweh the first offspring of every womb and the first offspring of every beast that you own, the males belong to Yahweh. Listen, it ain't changed, people. But every first offspring of the donkey... (laughs) you shall redeem with the lamb (laughs) but you if you do not redeem it you shall break its neck (laughs) there you go God's got a problem with donkeys okay 
and every firstborn of the man among your sons shall be redeemed. You shall be redeemed. Okay, the donkey, you won't, you'll find it out in Leviticus 11, chapter 2, verse, chapter 11, verses 2 through 7, is the donkey is an unclean animal and could not be sacrificed to God. So when you had the firstborn of the donkey, and he didn't want it. Okay, uh, it was either to be killed or, or uh, to have a lamb used as a substitute sacrifice for it. Um, we see that picture correct in Jesus Christ, the substitute lamb. Okay, and the firstborn of the sons, what are you supposed to do? Redeem it. In chapter 2 of Luke, that was what they were in the process of. Mary was in the process of her cleansing because she had given birth to a son, her firstborn male. Okay, and she was in the cleansing process, right? On the eighth day of the firstborn male, what is he to do? Be circumcised. And it's obviously they were a poor family because they offered a dove. Okay, then she goes to the cleansing rituals for 33 days. She is not allowed to worship in the temple. And then after that, she is clean. And she's allowed to worship in the temple. And she goes and makes an offering, a burnt offering unto God. Uh, it hasn't changed. Why? God still says, I am holy and you will set it aside unto me. <clears throat> and you, in verse 14, and it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is this? Then you shall say to him, With a powerful hand, Yahweh brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And it came about when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that Yahweh killed every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore, I sacrifice to Yahweh the males the first offspring of every womb and every firstborn of my sons i redeem you see what he just did i redeem i bring it out of one place and i place it in the other it literally means to rescue it i rescue the firstborn and it will follow me so it shall be a sign where on your hand as phylacteries on your forehead for the powerful hand of Yahweh brought us out of Egypt. He says, I want you to keep this on your foreheads. I want you to think about this. I don't want this to go far from you. Okay. This is one of the things that I find troubling. Why don't we remind each other? Why don't we keep bringing back up where God has brought us, what God has done, God's promises? It's obvious God wants us to do that. Why don't we tell the youngers? Tell the younger ones. Why don't we share that? This is why we're doing this. Why do I go to church on Sunday morning? I don't want my children to get out of the habit of getting up early because they got to go to school on Monday. No. Why? Why do I do these things? Why don't I set my children down and explain to them, this is why I do this.
God says, remind them, tell your kids. When they get old enough, tell them why. You'll do it at every month. When this month comes by on this day, you will do this. You'll set, I mean, think about it. I am for seven days. I'm turning your house upside down. And that's really what he did. You go through your whole house. Get rid of all the yeast. <coughs> no unleavened in that house. What? None. Nope, you got to start all over. I want to be in absolute control of your whole house. I'm going to take over your house for seven days. Oh, by the way, I'm going to bring this cute little lamb. He's going to come in here. He's going to hang out with you, and you're going to sleep with the kids, and you're going to put him in, and he's going to little scratch his little chin. And then on Friday, Dad's killing it. Woo-hoo. Dad, <laughs> how's it come? Why are we eating crackers all week, and why did you kill Fluffy? Why? Because it is in remembrance of the mighty hand of Yahweh bringing me out of captivity. Now, I want you to think about it for a second. I want you to think about this. What kind of bondage of sin were you in? And why do we so quickly forget the mighty hand of Yahweh freeing me from that bondage? Because we don't remind ourselves. You know why part of the reason I go to church? You know, people, you know, people ask me, oh, how'd you know you're going to be a preacher? Oh, I didn't. And I had some people who seen what was going on. But you know what? In the pattern of my life up until the time that they said, we want you to be an elder, you know what it was? I was in church. When the doors were open, I was in church. Why? What was the alternative? To be in the world or be with the saints of God. And when I go to church, it reminds me of what? I used to be a slave. But I am now an heir of the firstborn of God. And God says, I adopted you. And don't you forget it. That goes all the way back to the Exodus. How cool. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for redeeming us. Lord, the amazing things that you have done. Father, may it not go far from our minds. Father, so many things distract us. So many things beat us. So many things want our attention. They want our time. They want our actions. They want our, they just want us. And Lord, most of it just entangles. Father, help us. Help us not to be entangled. Help us, as the writer of Hebrews says, run the race that is before us. Father, as you say in Corinthians, let us run to win that we may receive eternal prize. Help us, Lord. Help us. Help us to keep this on our foreheads and to keep us on our arms. Your word, Lord, of your power, your redemption, your mercy, your grace. Father, let us be about your ways, not ours. Thank you, Father. Thank you for bringing us here, but yet again, 
Thank you for guarding us. Father, thank you for protecting us. Father, thank you for providing for us. And Father, when you come in and you turn our houses upside down for your purpose, for your glory, for your privilege, Father, may we smile to the heavens and say, Amen. Thank you, Father, for the Lamb of God slain on our behalf. In Christ's name, amen.